Go get him, Joe. Good morning. I am Joe Collins. My wife, Lynette, and my mom are here. I can't go anywhere without my mom. But uh, I do want to say thank you to Gio and Karen for their uh, encouragement and, and really want to encourage you uh, that, you know, and hold them up as incredible examples of humility. Uh, because, you know, at times in a, in a minister's life, you go through these times where it's time to, to sort of get input and, and open up the book, so to speak, and let other people in. And, and they're doing that with incredible sense of humility. And I hope the whole uh, Shoreline ministry follows suit in that. Uh, the goal really is the highest good for everyone considered. The church, the garces, everyone considered. Uh, and, you know, there's no, there's no shock. There's no uh, surprise thing here. It really is just an issue of, hey, what is God speaking to us now? What is God's highest good for everyone? And, and, and what changes might come from that? And so, again, if you have any questions, feel free to ask uh, my wife and I or Gio and Karen. Uh, but you'll hear more about it as time goes on because we really want this to be everybody involved. We want this to be a, a together, a we thing that, uh, that we're doing. Um, you know, I went through this uh, in Simi Valley. My wife and I just recently started the church in Simi Valley, and it's not been quite a year yet, but when we went out there to start it, there was a group of people, 30-some-odd people already living there. And uh, let me tell you, you know, the, the days of coming and saying, okay, we're going to start a church, and everybody going, yes, sir, what are my orders, are long gone. Uh, my <laughs> wife and I spent a long time, seven months at least, uh, engaging the people in yeah. Simi Valley and talking in great detail about what it would mean, what it would look like, what are they looking for, what it, what do they need from it, and so that's what we want to do. We want to share that experience, that that we process with you in Shoreline, and I'm sure other uh, ministries in LA and all around the church have done similar things, and some are going to do similar things because we really see the value of us right. as a church family working. Together, So I really want to hold the Garces up for their humility and their friendship, and we love them very much. Uh, and it is nice to be here, and, and hopefully we'll see more of you uh, as time goes on. And it is great to see many faces of people that uh, we know. But with that, I want to uh, jump into the message for today. And uh, the title is uh, Hashtag Jesus, uh, and uh, I'll talk more about that in a second. But I wanted to tell you a story. Some of you may have heard this. There was a guy who was born and raised in England, and he lived his entire life in England, never traveled anywhere, but it was always his dream to one day go down to Spain because, you know, England is kind of a cold and rainy place, and there's always a, a, a gray sky many days of the year, but, but Spain is nice and warm and, and, and hot, and, and it was always his dream, and so he spent his whole life saving money. He finally saved enough money to go on this trip, this trip of a lifetime to Spain, and so he kissed his wife and his kids goodbye, and he went off on his grand adventure. And he goes down to Spain, and when he got there, he realized, I probably should uh, let, let everybody know I'm okay. So he sat down at his computer, and he, he fired off a little quick email, dear wife, uh, you know, to let her know everything was fine. But when he, sent, when he hit the send button, he didn't realize that he had misspelled his wife's name. His wife was Joan Foster, but he actually typed in Jean Foster by accident, didn't see it, and hit send. And it just so happens that somewhere out in the world, there was a Jean Foster. And she received this email. Now, Gene Foster was married to a minister, but he had just passed away. And you could imagine her surprise when she opened the email and it said, Dear wife. But that's not what got her. What, what got her really, she shook, she shook her entire body, caused her to faint, was the next sentence. Because it read, Arrived safely, boy, is it hot down here. <laughs> series 
uh, about following Jesus is, is really a different take on reading the gospel of Mark. We're going to follow Mark, and um, we're going to follow Jesus to the places he went as Mark described them. Now, this is right. what we're doing at Simi Valley, and I just want to share it with you, the, the first uh, ser- lesson in the series. And as I said, the idea is to just, where did Jesus go? I sat down, and, and some of you have been Christians a long time, and I know, uh, like me, there's times where you read the Bible and you go, man, I'm, I'm kind of getting tired. It's sometimes boring. It can get dry. And I know that shouldn't be the case. We should be better people than that. But, you know, it's what we are. We're human, right? And so uh, I, I sat down and I read the Gospel of Mark and I decided to highlight every line in the Gospel of Mark that had to do with where Jesus went. So it's an interesting thing. You might try this sometime in your life just to go down and highlight them all because it really kind of gives you a different angle in, 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 in reading the Gospel. It gives you a different sense of what was going on. And so... Uh, and that, that's really how this series came to be. I want to literally go where Jesus went. I want to literally follow Jesus. And so if he went to the Sea of Galilee, I, I want to go there. If he went to Capernaum, I want to go there. If he went into the synagogue, I want to go there. You get the point. I chose Mark uh, because, number one, he's the shortest of all the Gospels. So I figured this would be a long time coming if I chose Luke or someone like that. But Mark is a shorter Gospel, and Mark was a follower of Peter. He didn't know Jesus directly, but he knew Peter, and Peter was Jesus' closest disciple, his closest follower for much of his life on earth. And so Peter was able to communicate to Mark many of the stories and the experiences that he had with Jesus during the time that he, he spent with him. So in, in a very real way, what we read, these are, these are firsthand accounts of the life and of the times of Jesus Christ. I also chose Mark because, because Peter, his, his mentor, was a fisherman. And, and people that work with their hands, uh, they tend to be practical, down-to-earth, direct, and straightforward kind of people. They're the kind of people like the salt-of-the-earth guys. And, yeah. and who doesn't like the salt-of-the-earth guy? Yeah. Just the direct, straightforward. A side point, you know, in my, in my preparation, I thought about that, and I thought to myself, Maybe I ought to be more like that. Maybe I ought to try to be a little bit more like Peter, a little more salt of the earth, a little more direct, a little more straightforward, just in how I talk about Jesus. Maybe you could try the same thing. You might be surprised at the change of impact it has on the people that you're talking to. Great point. So we're following uh, uh, Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. One last thing I want you to note, and this is all just sort of to set up this, this lesson, is that whenever you study the Gospels, you've got to understand, or one of the Gospels, that, uh, uh, all that, that the Gospels are written by people who had a specific point of view, a specific memory, and uh, a purpose in writing. And so all of the Gospels, while they're the same in their general story, they do have differences. And sometimes you go, wait, that doesn't make sense. Luke says Jesus was here when that happened, and Mark says he was here when that happened. And, and, and that's caused some, uh, some concern for people. It's caused people to doubt, even question the validity of, of the gospel writers because they at times seem to disagree. Actually, it's very minor. It's only like a handful of times where there might be a disagreement. But that can be easily cleared up when you realize that the gospels are partially chronologic. They were not written intended to be chronological in order uh, from, from beginning to end. They're partially chronologic. But they're also partially thematic. And so a gospel writer will get stuck on a theme, and then he'll sort of throw a bunch of stories in that fit with that theme. And when you understand that, that explains why there's some differences between the gospels. 
for me, when I was a kid, I loved sitting around the table with the family uh, and the relatives would come for a holiday or whatever. And you'd hear all the old stories. They'd start telling the stories of the old days when it was black and white. And, uh, and so we'd be sitting there and they would talk about Uncle So-and-so. And, you know, it started off with Uncle So-and-so when he was 10. But, you know, because they were on the subject of Uncle So-and-so, they just start telling stories about Uncle So-and-so. And they didn't necessarily follow an exact chronology of Uncle So-and-so's life. That's the Gospels. They're a little bit like that. So I'll do my best during the, the study today to sort of fill in some of the gaps. I'll reference some of the other gospel writers, if it, you know, just to help the story. But I don't want us to worry too much about it because we just want to follow Jesus and go where he went and saw what he saw and learn from what that experience was as Mark tells us it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray before we read. Let's do it. Father, thank you for being here, being with us. We're so honored to be followers of you, and we're so grateful for your word and the message that's in your word. Please speak to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we're going to start in Mark chapter 1, verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. This is the first mention of location in the gospel of Mark, of Jesus going somewhere. He went from Nazareth, his hometown where he was raised, born in Bethlehem but raised in Nazareth, and that was in a province called Galilee. And he traveled to visit John the Baptist. That's why he wanted to go there to be baptized by John down by the Jordan. Now, I have a map that I want you to see. I actually have two maps, so I'll, I'll show them now. On the, on the left, the first map is kind of just a, a simple, you know, top-down view of the area. This uh, gives you sort of the provinces. You see in the north, there's this province called Galilee, and then Samaria, and at the bottom, there's Judea, and over there, there's the, the Decapolis and Perea. This gives you a sense of the overall you know, uh, layout of, the, of Palestine in Jesus' time. It has some key cities like Bethsaida and Capernaum and Jerusalem down there. It has the Sea of Galilee. You see the River Jordan and the Dead Sea. Uh, this map represents the, uh, uh, the entire area, about 120 miles by maybe 80 miles, something like that, where Jesus lived his entire life. He never traveled beyond that except for a short time as an infant, went down to Egypt, and then maybe as an adult, he went a little bit off the map to the north to visit Tyre and Sidon. But other than that, he spent his entire life in this area. Now, the map on the, on the right is a topographical map. It shows you kind of the terrain. I want you to notice that the Dead Sea down there at the bottom right is the lowest point on Earth, about 1,000 feet below sea level. Uh, and the Jordan River Valley is all below sea level. The, the, the Sea of Galilee there up at the top by Capernaum is also below sea level. But you notice how it drops dramatically. It's in, a, it's in a steep valley. You can kind of get a sense of the hills and the terrain of the area, just so that you realize when, when they went somewhere, it wasn't always an easy walk, right? You had to navigate. You had to take yeah. mountain passes and roads and things like that. That yellow road there is called the Via Maris. It's an ancient road. It was there many, many generations before Jesus Christ, and it was the main road in which people went from east to west and, and west to east. And you'll notice that it goes right through Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, and even past the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, and, and things like that. So that gives us a sense of the environment that Jesus lived in. Now Mark tells us that at some point, at that time, he doesn't give us a date, but we can guess that this was somewhere between 25, 30 AD, somewhere in that time frame. Jesus was about 30 years old. He left Nazareth, and he traveled south about 80 miles. And this is my fancy graphic there. 
uh, that along that dotted line, it wasn't probably a straight line, as you can see by the topography, but he traveled south to somewhere down there in the river, uh, the Jordan River Valley, just north of the Dead Sea, because that's where John the Baptist was. So this, this raises an interesting question, too, actually, for me. Number one, why see John at this point in time, and why be baptized? So to answer those questions, we're going to back up and we're going to look at verse 1. The beginning, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus left Nazareth and traveled down to see John. Now, from his birth, around 5 B.C., John the Baptist was special, and everyone knew it. His parents, or his father, was a priest in the temple at Jerusalem. That was a high honor. He was a descendant of Aaron, the, the priestly caste of the nation of Israel. His mother was also a descendant of Aaron, so he was, a, he was the, the son of priests, right? And uh, his father, Zechariah, worked in the temple in Jerusalem. And one day he went into the temple, and while he was in there, he was visited by the angel Gabriel, who told him that he would have a son, to name him John, and that his son would be great. Now, Zechariah was an old man. His wife was beyond childbearing years. And so when Zechariah kind of spoke back and said, well, how's this going to happen? Gabriel said, okay, shut up, yeah. <laughs> and didn't let Zechariah talk for nine months. And said, it's going to happen because God said it's going to happen. So Zechariah came out of the temple, couldn't speak, and everyone that saw him knew something had happened in there. And they figured out pretty quickly that he was visited by an angel. And I don't have this, you know, it's not in scripture, but I, I, this is, I'm going to go out on a limb here. This, this is probably the first recorded account of the game of charades. Because John had to explain what happened in the temple. <laughs> And so there he is trying to explain this, you know, this and this and sounds like and all that. He did all that, invented the whole game right then and there. It's in the Bible. <laughs> you ever go to a Christian party and they're playing charades? Now you know why. Yeah, it's go. the official Christian game. Come on. <laughs> so Zechariah explains to the people something, you know, they figure it out what's happening. And then everybody was like, whoa, incredible. So when his tour of duty at the temple is over, he leaves, he goes back home. He lived in the in the hills of Judea, the hillside of, of Judea. That's that highlighted area I drew there uh, around the Dead Sea. It's ba that basic area there. He goes home to his wife, and after some time, she does, in fact, become pregnant, which is like another, like, wow, how'd that happen? She was beyond yeah. childbearing years. And uh, nine months go by, and she finally gives birth to the baby John. Now, when John comes out, everybody's gathered around, family and everyone, and they're like, what are you going to name him? And she says, John. But everybody got upset because 
John wasn't a family name. So what are you naming him John for? What about Zechariah or whatever, somebody else, right? And so they're debating with her, thinking, oh, here's a, you know, this woman, she's coming up with these crazy names and how dare her and all that, right? And, 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 and so they look to Zechariah, and Zechariah still can't talk, but he writes down his name is John, and then he can suddenly speak. Yeah. And everyone there said to themselves, what is this kid going to be? This, there's something special happening here. This guy is impressive. So John was raised in the hill country of Judea. It was a, it's a pretty uh, desolate area. It's a rough place. And as an older man, he moved into the wilderness of Judea, even, even a worse area, like very rough, uh, difficult, dry, uh, rough terrain, not populated, untamed part of the world at that time. And that's where he lived. He wore a camel's hair outfit, a leather belt. He ate locusts and wild honey. You know, he was Bear Grylls before Bear Grylls. Right. Slept inside dead camels, all that kind of stuff, right? All that stuff. Probably not. That would have made him unclean, but something like that. So anyways. So John, this is, this is where he was raised and grown. And that whole description of an outfit is, is simply to say he's the stereotypical picture of a prophet. I mean, if you think profiling is wrong, John was profiled in the Bible. That's what a prophet looks like, the camel hair and the leather belt and the crazy look in his eye, you know, that kind of thing. That's John the Baptist. And at some point, he came out of the wilderness and he began preaching a message of repentance and forgiveness and of baptism. And he was so engaging, he was so uh, 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 powerful in his, in his communication that people began to come to him to hear him. It, it helped that he lived uh, along that river valley. There was actually a road that kind of went by that was a main road that went into Jerusalem and went north and south. And so he had sort of a captive audience as travelers would come back, come by. But he got an audience. The Bible says that all over Judea, people came out to hear him. That all of Jerusalem came out to hear him. Matter of fact, people up in Galilee traveled down just to hear him, to be baptized by him, to be around what was going on in his ministry down there. It was a, it was a hotbed of activity in the Jewish community. And during that time, the Bible says that people, when, when it says they went out to him, that, that phrase, it means that they kept coming out to him. As they just continued to keep coming by the thousands, people were baptized by John the Baptist. I'm going to play a game with you really quick. Do not shout out the answer, please, Clay. Please keep your mouth closed. Do not shout out the answer. All right, here we go. If you know the answer to this, just raise your hand. I'll let you, Clay, answer it if you know it after that. So I'm going to say a sentence. Tell me if you know how to complete the sentence. When E.F. Hutton talks, people... Okay, Clay, what's the answer? Listen. People listen. He just dated himself. That was an old-time commercial from way back in the day. And E.F. Hutton was an investment company, and they had a commercial, and that was their whole thing is we're the experts. So when we speak about finance, people listen. John the Baptist was the E.F. Hutton of Israel. When he spoke, people listened. The leaders in Jerusalem, the chief, the temple, the, the priests, the, 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 the scribes, the teachers of all, they came out to talk to him. They wanted to know what was going on with this guy. He was that influential. 
he was that significant. It's really cool. That area where he, where he lived in that wilderness area, that's the same area where the Qumran community of Jews were. If you don't know who they are, they're the people that wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls. Maybe the greatest archaeological find of the last yep. century, maybe of all time. Yep. Because in those scrolls, we found uh, complete copies of the Old Testament writings. They were, they were hand copied by their scribes and then stored in jars and hidden in caves. And they weren't discovered for almost 2,000 years, somewhere in the 40s. They were discovered. And that one discovery helped us know that the Bible you and I read, at least the Old Testament of it, is 100% accurate. I mean, it just laid to rest any questions about the authenticity and the accuracy and the trustability of the Bible. My wife and I, last year, went and saw the Dead Sea Scroll exhibit. They toured, and they came to L.A., and they were down at the, the what is that, the museum down there, Natural History. And I, I, I wanted to go. I love history. I had to go. So we went, and it was amazing. They just had a few of the fragments, and they had them in these little tiny windows, and they were, you know, the glass was tinted because they didn't want to ruin them because they're, they're very fragile. But I sat there, and I stared into these windows, and it was handwritten sections of the Bible, wow. copies that date back to, to the time of John the Baptist and even before. And, and it's imagine for a minute, I thought to myself, that guy that wrote that, that copied that, absolutely, very probably, knew of John the Baptist. He, he, he most likely had heard of him, if not even knew him. It's incredible to think about that. So John the Baptist was the E of Hutton of the ancient world. So why did Jesus go there? Well, for that very reason. John the Baptist was the guy at the time. There was no one greater. He became great in Israel because of his message. John the Baptist didn't only talk about forgiveness and baptism. He talked about the coming of the Messiah. And at a time in Israel's history when they really wanted a Messiah, they were done with the status quo. They were done with religion. They wanted something different. And they started to think that maybe this was around the time God had been promising a Messiah. Maybe it was time. And John the Baptist started saying, it's time. He got people's attention. You know, I want you to think about this for a minute. Convicting point here. If you want to have influence, I don't know if you're going to have it as good as John the Baptist, but if you want to have some sort of influence, I'll tell you a key. Stop talking about yourself and start talking about the one whose sandals you're not worthy to untie. If you want to make an impact on the people around you, your kids, your friends, your neighborhood, stop talking about yourself, the weather, the stock market, and start talking about the one who was promised because he is coming again. And you know, nothing uh, captures people's attention better than talking about the coming of the Messiah. So if you want to be E.F. Hutton to your friends and family, there's a little takeaway for you. So why did Jesus go to John? Because he was the E.F. Hutton of Israel at the time. When he talked people listened. So now we go to our next question. Why did he get baptized? Why did he need to be baptized by John? Verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. 
And a voice came from heaven, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now I don't know how this happened, but while John was out there in the wilderness growing up, somewhere along the line, God spoke to him and said, You're going to baptize the Messiah. Okay? So it's kind of comical to me because I, I imagine John, you know, baptizing thousands of people. He the one. He the one, you know, waiting for the sign. And the sign was that heaven would tear open and the Spirit of the Lord would descend on and remain on this person and he would know he's the one. And so you just see, maybe him. Don't give him. Nope. Okay. Nope. Next one. Right? John the Baptist was trying to find the Messiah. Not only was he baptizing people for repentance and forgiveness of sins, but he was looking for the Messiah. He had been told by God that he would be the one. You can imagine John's surprise when Jesus walked up. A little backstory. John and Jesus were related. We don't know how. The Gospel of Luke tells us they were related. That's all it says. Well, their, their moms were related. Mary and Elizabeth. It's not unreasonable to think that when Jesus, growing up, would travel down to Jerusalem to worship as all Jewish men were commanded to do at least once a year. I think it was up to three times a year. They would go down to the temple and they would worship at the temple. It's not at all beyond possibility that during those trips... Jesus would have spent time with his relative John. There was probably some familiarity between them. When Mary first got pregnant, one of the first people she went and spent time with was Elizabeth, John's mom. There was clearly a prior relationship there, a, a knowledge of who each other was. How, to what extent, we don't know. But it's interesting because the other Gospels tell us when, when Jesus walked up to John, John said, you should baptize me when he saw Jesus. Now, I don't know if John knew he was the Messiah yet, but it tells me that John knew Jesus was special. What's interesting is that Jesus and John are very similar. They both had births that were foretold by angels. They both had miraculous, unusual birth circumstances. John to a woman who was beyond childbearing age. Jesus to a woman who who, uh, was a virgin. Jesus had a buzz about him in Galilee, where he was raised. People kind of saw he was the five-star recruit coming out of Galilee. And that was a bit unusual because nothing good, nothing ever good comes out of Galilee. I mean, even, even some of Jesus' own disciples, when they met him, were like, what? How could anything good come out of Galilee? That's not a football school up there. But that's who he was. And John the Baptist was that guy in Judea. And so when John sees Jesus, he's like, no, I can't baptize you. You've got to baptize me. He clearly knew he was special. And Jesus said something interesting to John. He said, we got to do this to fulfill all righteousness. That's what Mark tells us. That they had a little interaction. And Jesus said, no, you got to baptize me to fulfill all righteousness. What does that mean? Well, easily, simply put, it was a conversation between Jesus and John. And Jesus was basically saying, John, it's God's will. God wants me, you to do this to me. And we got we to gotta humble out to that. There's, there's a couple of things that stand out to me about Jesus' baptism. The first one is that Jesus went down there to see John because John was the Ephotin of Israel. He needed John's endorsement. Think about that for a minute. At the time, Jesus was, you know, the five-star recruit from Galilee, but Galilee was like the double-A the league. I mean, it wasn't pro ball. That was down there in Judea. And so for Jesus to ever get any kind of credibility, he had to be associated, at least in human eyes, with John the Baptist. 
So in a sense, when Jesus went to see John, he was endorsing John. He was saying, hey, I'm in agreement with your ministry. But in a bigger sense, John was endorsing Jesus. He was making a statement. This is a guy, we're on the same team here. We're, we're, we're of the same mind. And that helped a lot in Jesus' early part of his ministry for people to want to know what he had to say. In fact, John would tell people, follow him now. Follow him now. He's the one. He's the one to follow. And, and without John, it would have been much harder, at least from a human perspective, for people to accept Jesus. He needed John's endorsement. But secondly, his baptism revealed his divinity. For crying out loud, the heavens tore open. The Spirit descended and remained on him. A voice said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased, right? I mean, this was a big deal. People that were there were like, what just happened? It revealed to the world that Jesus was something more than just the next prophet, the next five-star recruit. He was the Messiah. He was the one. Sometimes we read the Bible and we get deceived. We think that it was like a mystery who Jesus was. Let me tell you, the more I read the Gospels and the more I study Mark and follow Jesus from place to place to place, the more you can't help but go, how did people miss it? How did they not realize he was the Messiah? He was healing people. He was raising people from the dead. He was walking around telling everybody, I'm the one. I'm the Messiah. Other people were going, he's the one. He's the Messiah. How in the world did they miss it? Well, I missed it. I'm sure many of you have missed it. There's people all over our world today that are missing it. And we got to endorse him. We got to help them make the connection. That's one of our responsibilities. We got to be like John to the world. Hey, he's the one. That's why we got to stop talking about ourselves and our bad day and our annoying kids and, you know, our diet. We got to stop. And we got to start talking about the one. We got to endorse him to our friends and to our families and to our neighbors and to the world around us. It's also why we got to be righteous because if you're a, a derelict, no one's going to listen to your endorsement. If E.F. Hutton was a bad investment company, they wouldn't have had a great commercial. People would be like, E.F. Hutton, are you kidding? So he needed his endorsement. But he also revealed his divinity. He told the world right from the start, it was not hidden. This is who he is. God himself spoke from heaven. That's the one. This is my son. But there was a third reason. And and to me, a really powerful reason. That Jesus was baptized by John. He needed the endorsement. He revealed his divinity. But he also revealed his humanity. Because as a human, Jesus needed to submit to God's will, just like you and I. None of us get to escape that. None of us say we don't have to submit because we're human. Here's a theological concept, something for you to to chew on. Jesus was both God, fully God, and fully man at the same time. You and I, we're just fully man. But he's fully God and he's fully man at the same time. And so as a man, he had to submit to the will of God. Even though people would find out later that he had never sinned, he, he didn't need to repent. I mean, there was not, he, he didn't have to confess belief in himself. He didn't have to do any of that. 
but he still had to submit to the will of the Father. Yeah. He still had to fulfill all righteousness. Yeah. And that's why he said to John, no, you got to baptize me because I actually am human. I don't know what that does for you, but what that does for me is it tells me that Jesus understands me. He knows what it's like to be me. I don't actually know what it's like to be him. As much as I think I have a divine nature, I don't. I don't really know what it's like to be him, but he knows what it's like to be me. He knows what it's like to be you. A few years ago, my dad passed away, and it was a terrible time in my life. Miserable, miserable miserable. I love my dad. And, you know, the church was great. People came and encouraged. And, you know, it's a blessing to be in a church family where you have that kind of support. You don't do these things alone. People praying for you and all that. But I found that there were certain people that I really got comfort from. And they were people who had lost their parent too. Because they knew what it was like. It drew me to them. I wanted to be around them. As much as everybody else encouraged me, there was something about those people that ministered to me. And so if you don't, if you take nothing else away, if you, you can forget this whole message, but I want you to remember this one thing. Jesus left Nazareth for a lot of reasons we could go into, but the thing I want you to remember for today, he went down to the Jordan, he was baptized by John, so that you would know he's just like you. So that you would feel drawn to him. He did that for you and I. Uh He wants us to come close to him. It's no wonder that Mark says, At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended to him. There's no better definition of humanity than being tempted. You know, when scientists think about, you know, they try to classify organisms and trees. They're trees because they have roots and they have, you know, whatever cell and this. And animals have this. And humans, we get tempted. That's the best description of a human. (laughs) And Jesus was a human. He went out and he got tempted, not just three times in the desert, but throughout his entire life. He experienced temptation. He experienced tiredness. He experienced weakness. He experienced sadness enjoy he laughed he hiccuped he was just like you and me and he went all the way down to John to be baptized to let you know so that you would come closer to him you can trust it he gets you that is an incredibly powerful motivation for me. When someone will, will, will come to me, I, I, I can't help but want to reciprocate. I can't help but want to come to them. And that's the thing I want to leave you with more than anything else. That Jesus wants you to be drawn to him. You know, I, I uh, told you the story of Gene Foster in the email and, uh, you know, at the very end of the email, maybe the last thing that she read uh, before she fainted, you know, dear wife, uh, arrive safely, boys, hot down here. At the very end, as she was in shock and passing out, it said, hope to see you soon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
You know, it must have been a surprise for Gene to get this email, even though it was a joke and it was an accident and none of this is true. But uh, it must have been a surprise. And, you know, and following Jesus is a bit surprising. I've really enjoyed my study of Mark, and I've been teaching on it and seeing me, and I'm going to keep teaching it as long as it goes. I have no rule on when this series ends. We're just going to follow him to everywhere he went because it's been surprising to look at the gospel from that perspective and to learn new things and get new insights out of the life of Jesus and, and, and be inspired by him. But it's not just surprising. Following Christ is the greatest joy of my life. And it was the best decision I ever made. And if you're today on that fence, if you're contemplating that, I'm going to tell you it's 110% the greatest decision you'll ever make and it will be the greatest joy of your life. And if you've done that decision and you found yourself struggling and you're not sure, trust me, Jesus gets it. And, and, and because he gets it, you can trust him and you can draw closer to him and you can find the strength to carry on. As I said before, Gio and Karen are heroes to me. They're inspiring me because it is not easy to say, okay, let's just throw open the books and let everybody take a long, hard look at us and what do we need to change and what do we need to do differently and what's going to happen with Charlene? Who knows? We're, we're all approaching this for the highest good of everyone. Our hands are just open, whatever God wants. But I appreciate their example, but they would never do that if they weren't close to Jesus Christ. And that's the thing that's inspired me about them. Because when we talk, they say, whatever God's will is, we're just servants. We're here. We're willing. Man, that's inspiring. That's encouraging. I hope today that you will keep following Jesus. Come on. And if you haven't started, I hope that you will start today. Let's stand. We'll close with a final song. Thank you very much. Hello. Can you hear me? You know, uh,